Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I have a really cool guest with me here today named Lauren. Hi. Lauren and I met over, I don't even know how long ago now, but in our first year of university, back when I went to Tulane still, it's been a long time since we've seen each other. How are you? Um, I'm good. Um, Sundays are always weird. I used to hate Sundays um, and I've kind of tried to like turn Sundays into like a get ready for the rest of the weekday so I can be excited about them. So better than past Sundays, I guess, but it's been okay. How about you? Good, good. Very, very lazy Sunday, but those are always good too. That's my, my typical Sunday. So nothing different. Yeah. Yeah. You're in New Orleans right now. How are things over there? Um, it's actually really nice today. It wasn't too cold out. The weather's been kind of weird lately. Um, but yeah, I was grocery shopping and like walking around a lot today near the mall and near, um, like the outlet stores and like the sun was out. It's been kind of rainy lately. So that was really nice. It was very pretty. That's awesome. And you, are you guys back in person for school or are you online? Um, so I'm taking all of my classes online, um, but some people are going in person. It kind of depends. Like I have, I've asked my professors if I could take my classes online and they're okay with it, but most people do go in person if they can. Yeah, that makes sense. Better to be safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I see in your little intro thing here, you mentioned you have a background in activism, economics, and film oh, film production, and Arabic. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with those? Um, yeah, okay. So I first started getting involved in activism. That was like my first love, and I guess like the love of my life in high school. I, it was, it kind of just like happened to me. Um, a student at my high school was killed by gun violence because I'm from Chicago. And so my school is very diverse and some people were affected by that. I also lost an uncle to gun violence before I was born. So it hit home for me and I went to a vigil. His name is Elijah Sims. And I went to a vigil for him and I ended up just like, they were having people come up and speak and I ended up going up to speak. And I think I said something about how I felt like my community um, and my high school was ignoring gun violence, even though it happened so close to us. And a lot of the people I went to school with like experienced it and it was very well received. And I ended up working with some other students at my high school and my teacher, Anthony Clark and um, his um, Elijah Sims mother to do a assembly on gun violence. And so we talked to the whole school about gun violence and we kind of just like wanted to bring the issue home because there were some more affluent people in our community. And I guess they kind of wanted to pretend that it wasn't happening or they didn't realize that it was happening so close to home. And that just kind of like led to me, I ended up changing my school's sexual misconduct policy because myself and some other girls were really negatively affected by the fact that there wasn't a lot of advocacy for victims of sexual assault and just sexual violence in general. Um, And then I ended up being a planner of the Chicago March for Our Lives my senior year of high school. And since I moved to New Orleans for school, I've been very involved with 
local nonprofits doing a lot of economic justice work. Um, during the summer, like I helped plan a Black Lives Matter protest in Chicago. It's still something I'm very involved in. And I don't know, ever since I got involved in activism, I knew that I wanted to, or not even wanted to, I knew that the purpose of my life was to help champion progressive causes and support and uplift people who have been really marginalized and disadvantaged by the system. And so that's kind of led to like everything else in my life, like economics. I, I actually was never interested in it. And then I took a class my last semester of high school um, just by chance and I ended up loving it. And I was in a class with a lot of white guys and as a woman of color, like I never really felt like I could speak up. I never felt like I was that smart. I felt like everyone else had more experience than me, but I actually ended up getting one of the best grades in the class because I formed a really good um, relationship with my teacher who was a white guy and just really like looked after me and made sure I understood the material. And so I realized through that experience that a lot of social justice issues I was fighting for had to do with economics. So I decided I wanted to study that in college to create a basis for the rest of my career and the rest of my activist endeavors. And then Arabic, um, I kind of just had to take a language and I'd already taken French and Spanish before. And I was like, well, I'm gonna have to do three semesters of something. I might as well do something interesting. And then I ended up loving it. Um, now I'm getting an Arabic minor. I um, found out I was like Middle Eastern through a DNA test, which was really interesting. So it felt even more fitting. And I'm also very interested in women's rights in the Arab world. So that's something I want to do with my career. Um, and then film production. Yeah, I've always been an artist since I was a kid. And I got really into film when I was in high school. And I ended up I was creating my own like little documentary for a class about race relations and racism in education. And then they ended up um, using some of my footage in a Sundance docu-series called America to Me that was filmed at my high school. Um, me and some of my friends who'd all filmed stuff for the school news show and just personal projects, they ended up like wanting our footage and using it. So now I have an IMDB page, which is super fun, but yeah, everything just kind of, um, all of my interests weave together to, I think, help me pursue like the common good and just trying to support other people in like whatever ways I can and help build a society that's more equitable and allows everyone to be free of disadvantages based on their class or race or however society defines them. I love that. Would you say that all of your other interests there kind of started from your love of activism? I would say that um, art, I've been like, I loved art since I was a child. So that wasn't really um, connected to activism. It was just something I really liked to do. But as I got more involved in activism, I decided that I wanted to use my interest in art in a more activisty fashion. So yeah, I, and I still like do art for fun. Like you can't see my floor right now, but I have like a bunch of paintings I'm working on on the ground right now. Like I still do it because I really like to do it, but also there is a lot of room um, and support for art in the activist world. And so I try to 
use my skills in that way when I can. Nice. What kind of art do you like to do? I like to do everything. Um, I love photography. My first and I think only like huge purchase I've ever made was um, a really nice like DSLR camera. So love photography. I love filming things and just like editing little movies and little clips together. I love drawing, painting, basically everything but sculpture. I don't know how to do sculpture and I've never tried, um, but my friends really like it. So maybe one day. And I also like to make candles. I don't really know if that's an art, but it's really fun. So that's something I've gotten into recently. That's so cool. Making candles has always been something I want to do. How do you it's like so it? Easy. It's so Is easy. It? Okay, so I got a kit on Amazon. It's $15. I should have known um, by the fact that it was so cheap that there's going to be problems with it. It didn't come with wax. Oh. So then I had to order wax. And I ordered like I think like 10 pounds of wax um, on Amazon as well. In all, like it ended up being $30. Um, and then like I have some essential oils and dyes laying around. So you basically just melt the wax in um, a pot and then you pour it into whatever you, whatever container you want to use for the candle. And then you could also put like essential oil drops or um, little dyes in it to make it different colors. But it's so easy and it's so therapeutic. That's so cool. I'll have to try it for sure. Mm -hmm. And I know if I get it off Amazon, then I'll need to get wax as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I know the other day when we were talking, you mentioned you're getting into spirituality now. Do you mm -hmm. want to share your experience with that? Yeah, sure. So I grew up very Catholic. I went to a Catholic grade school until high school. Um, my mom's side of the family has been Catholic for like the past 500 years. And I also have a bishop in my family. So Catholic was like something that I was always raised with. I went to church multiple times a week and for a while it was something that I really connected to. Um, I prayed a lot, like I know all about different saints. I can sit like rehearse a bunch of different prayers. Like it's like muscle memory at this point. But um, when I was in high school, I was in a really abusive relationship and um, I was sexually assaulted. Um, many times and I really struggled with just understanding you know why like why would God have let this happen to me like there would be times where I would be praying while it was happening and it's like why isn't it stopping um, I'm so young like I don't understand what the point of this is and so that really I don't want to say it made me lose my faith but like I had so many questions and like I felt like everywhere I looked like there were not any answers so I did not go to church. I wasn't involved in spirituality like at all during high school. And I still believe in ghosts and stuff because like my dad's side is from New Orleans and like we've seen ghosts. So like I, I still believe that there's something but I didn't have like any guiding principles really. And then um, I was in a rehabilitation center um, during like winter break this year. Um, and that was where I started reading a lot more about different spiritualities. I was also introduced to some indigenous practices, which I think that um, you have to be careful with those as someone who has like very, very little indigenous heritage. Like it's, um, you have to be, you have to be very careful and make sure that you are practicing different cultures, spiritualities respectfully, because it can go really wrong really easily. But I found, um, I definitely found some 
common beliefs with some of the indigenous stuff I was learning about. And I started learning about Buddhism. And then I actually started learning about Catholicism again and opening myself up to that. And so since I got out, I've continued reading. I've been reading about like voodoo, Catholicism, indigenous practices, basically like anything I can read, I do. And I'm very early, like in the beginning of the process of, I guess, rediscovering my faith. But um, it's really interesting and it's really nice. It just makes me feel, it makes me feel a lot less alone. And it's also very helpful to have like, just like meditate um, and you can meditate through prayer, like praying the rosary is actually very meditative or just doing meditations like on YouTube or um, like burning certain herbs. Just there's, there's lots of things that at least make me feel a lot better and also make me feel much more connected to myself and my own power and the world around me. And for me, like I have really bad PTSD. And so that's been like, just immeasurably helpful for me. Um, and I'm definitely not an expert on any of this stuff, but I'm really glad that I've opened myself up to it again because it's helped me in the moments when I've really been struggling. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you say. That's kind of how I started getting back into spirituality too. Um, I totally agree that, you know, it's about getting in touch with yourself and finding like a best friend in yourself almost, mm -hmm. which is always great to have. Um, I also love how you said that you're being careful when exploring other cultures and stuff to like, be careful not to um, like step on any toes there. Cause that's a big thing for me too. But how do you, um, like are there certain resources you like to read and stuff to make sure that you're following their practices? Yeah, so um, I'm actually reading a book right now called Breeding, Braiding um, Sweetgrass, which is by um, an indigenous, I think she's an ecologist. Um, and that's been really cool. Um, I try that when I'm like reading about different cultures, I try to read like from sources um, who are actually part of those cultures. And also when it comes to like buying things, like I personally have not bought like any Palo Santo or Sage because I know that there's issues with shortages and the people who have historically used those in those in their spiritual practices like aren't able to get access to them because they're really trendy now so I make sure like if I'm buying something that I'm buying it from people who are not like in oppressive work conditions or I'm not creating a shortage for people who have historically used it um, and then yeah just making sure like if there is a practice like I'm interested in trying to incorporate into my life, like I try to read everything I can about it from sources who have historically practiced that. And I also wanna make sure like, is it okay for me to do this? Because I don't wanna be doing this and like, it's actually offensive and it's not really something that I should be doing that I have the correct background and education to be doing. So, and it's being on the internet, like the internet is super helpful because <laughs> it's a lot, easier to find answers to these questions, but um, that's something I really try to do, especially like when you go on like the, like websites like for women's health or women's spirituality, like you don't even realize it, but a lot of the stuff you're reading about like comes from an indigenous culture and they're just not talking about it. Like for instance, yoga, like until recently, like I didn't realize that that wasn't American. Like I didn't realize that that was 
appropriated from another culture. And I don't, I don't think that there's, I don't think it's wrong to practice yoga or anything like that. Like I do practice yoga, but I did not know where it came from at all. And so it's really important for me to understand like where are these things coming from and how can I practice them if I am like able to practice them in ways that are respectful and not taking away from um, the group who they originated with. That's so awesome. Yeah, I was reading this article about spiritual appropriation um, and this lady said like it's a big honor for people from different cultures to practice their practices as long as obviously they're doing it in, in the way that it's intended to be done. Um, so I love that you're being careful with that because you know there's so it's so easy to like not follow it right because I know like um, especially like in North America there are so many versions like yoga where it's not followed in the right way. Um, so I love that you're just being you know aware of what is right and how they intend it to happen. Um, I know you mentioned you got more into spirituality during your time in rehab. What was your experience like there? Um, it was amazing. Um, whenever people ask me, what did you do over winter break? I'm like, I went to rehab. I don't say anything more because I don't want to like just overwhelm people with information because that's not cool. But I do want to, I want the stigma for rehab to go away because a lot of people need it. A lot of people go to it secretly and feel like they can't talk about it because they'll be judged. And it is such a privilege to be able to go. Um, it was pretty expensive. Like I had to like spend um, a lot of my own money on it, but on like, it was, it was so worth it. Um, I went because I, so I experienced um, some traumatic situations at a young age. And then when I was in high school, I was in a really abusive relationship that I didn't realize was abusive for a long time. And then when I was in college, I was sexually assaulted multiple times. And I've also had issues with stalking and just people not respecting my boundaries. And so I was really struggling, especially like living in New Orleans by myself, being in college. I felt like I was just going downhill. And so I hit a breaking point last semester where I was like, I can't, like, I cannot continue to live like this. I literally, I don't see a life for myself. Like in the future of this is how it's gonna go. Um, so I was like, I gotta go to rehab. So I went and I went, so I went to this place called Integrative Life Center in um, Nashville. And so it's not, it's a much more holistic rehab place than some other places. It's not solely focused on um, substance abuse or, abuse or eating disorders and stuff. Like it's actually very trauma focused because they recognize that a lot of issues that people have plaguing them in their adult life come from experiencing trauma during developmental stages of their lives. So I did a ton of trauma work and I just learned a lot about PTSD. Like I knew I had it, but I didn't really understand it. And so I learned so much about like when you experience trauma at a young age, like it changes the way that your brain operates. Like for instance, like I would get really, really triggered by situations that weren't really a big deal. Like maybe like a guy would say something that kind of wasn't like cool, but it wasn't that bad. And I would flip out at him and like just be screaming. And I feel like just like my boundaries had been so crossed when it wasn't really that bad. And so I found out like, for instance, 
PTSD makes it so that you have kind of like this traumatic memory running in your mind in a loop. And the part of your mind that it's running in, it can't tell time. It only feels the emotion. So when something that would, would happen that would trigger me, I didn't know that the thing that happened in the past wasn't actually happening to me at that time. My brain was telling me like, this is happening to me right now. Like you need to like fight or else like something bad is going to happen to you. And so just learning things like that about my brain made me feel like, okay, like there is a reason why I am the way I am. And there's so many people who understand me and like, I can change this. Like our brains are created to be able to change and evolve over time and create new neural pathways and connections. And the neural pathways that I created because of my traumatic experiences, like I can make new ones. Like a very good, um, I guess, metaphor for that that I learned in rehab is like, for instance, like when you're walking down a trail, sometimes you'll see like branching off from the side of the trail, another trail, and there's a lot of overgrowth on it. Like you could tell nobody's really been walking on it. But if you start walking down that trail over and over again, and you don't walk down the original trail, then that trail will get flat and then the other trail will get overgrowth. So eventually like it takes time and practice, but you can create that new neural pathway and the other one will slowly not have as much of a presence in your life. So that's something I've really been working on since I got out. And like, it's really hard because there are triggers everywhere and you know, like life is gonna have challenges um, no matter what, but it was really, really helpful for me. Like, I think that even if you didn't have a massively traumatic experience in your life, you would benefit from it. Um, I wish that rehab wasn't so expensive because the people who often really, really need it are not able to afford it, um, especially because insurance doesn't cover a lot of rehabilitation facilities. But if you are able to go to rehab, if it's something you've been considering, like I would really recommend it because um, it can change your life. That's awesome. What was your process in considering going to rehab before you went? So I've been struggling with mental health issues for a very long time. Um, I started getting really bad anxiety when I was in middle school. It actually started with sports. Like I was a, I still am a, a perfectionist. And if I would mess up, like if I would um, shoot a basketball and it wouldn't like make it in the hoop or um, if my serve wouldn't go over the net cause I was a really big athlete um, when I was an early teenager, like I would flip out. Like I would have like a huge panic attack in the middle of the game. It was ugly. No one understood what was going on. Like people would like make jokes about me being possessed on the other teams. Like that was like my reputation. And so I started going to therapy when I was like a freshman um, in high school to kind of deal with that anxiety and also the depression that had um, formed from my anxiety. And then also just like from being bullied and then my Catholic school is not funded very well so the teachers were kind of abusive so there's just a lot going on so I got depressed so started going to rehab in high school and then my freshman year um, I was sexually assaulted um, on camera and the video was spread around my school and that was just like the um, nail in the coffin like I just went straight downhill um, my mental health basically for the next five years five and a half years was like 
really, really bad. Activism is definitely what saved my life. Like it kept me going throughout that time, but so depressed, so much anxiety. I also have ADHD and that was really bad. It was really hard for me to focus on my schoolwork and um, just going to work. I, um, I was really struggling and I tried different medications. Nothing seemed like it was working. And I also didn't know that I had PTSD at the time. So I was going to cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of a talk therapy. And for me, that was not working because PTSD sometimes needs more. And so therapy wasn't working. Like I felt like a mess. I felt like I couldn't be helped. And then when I got to college, like things just really got out of control. Like I was in, it was, none of the relationships were nearly as abusive as my high school one, but some really, really unhealthy relationships. Um, I really struggled with getting schoolwork done. Um, Tulane socially isn't really a great fit for me. So I was struggling with feelings of belonging and also because substance use is, um, I mean, we were the number one party school for a while. There's a lot of substance use here. I was definitely drinking too much. Um, and I just felt like I was totally out of control. Like I felt like my life was happening to me. I didn't feel like I was living. And so last semester, um, so the fall semester of 2020, um, my living situation wasn't very good. So I never wanted to be home. So I kind of felt like a nomad. Like I was seeing a lot of other people's houses and then that kind of developed into like unhealthy codependent relationships. Um, I was um, talking to this guy who like locked me in his house for a day. Like it was just like really bad. And um, I wanted to kill myself and I had to go to the hospital. And when I was in the hospital, um, they didn't have a depression unit. They only had a unit for um, basically like people who were um, dealing with like schizophrenia, um, disassociation, like really bad issues um, and things that I didn't have. So I was stuck there for three days, not getting the help I needed, um, surrounded by people who were um, just like, I couldn't even really talk to them because they just weren't in a mental place where they could talk to anybody. So, and I wasn't, I never saw a therapist the whole time I was there. It was, it was really bad. And so I was like, I gotta get out of here. So I lied and said that I was okay because, and that's a whole other thing. Like most of the people there were black, most of the people there are low income. And like the nurses would say stuff like, you know, they've been in here like five, six times. Like they always come back. It's like, well, why did they come back? Because they get pumped full of drugs and they don't actually get therapy they need because they can't afford it. And then they get sent back onto the streets and it's, it's a horrible cycle. And so that was also really painful. Like as a black person, just seeing that like right in front of me, like you read about it, but like being in the hospital around people who are really struggling and were not getting the help they needed, despite being in the hospital 24 seven was really bad. So I went home after that and, um, got my schoolwork done. I finished the semester, but it was just like, like I was like holding on for dear life. Like I was like, I can't, I cannot do this again. Like I felt like I was constantly triggered by everything. I never felt safe. So I was like, I'm going to go to rehab. And um, I honestly, like, I didn't even really like think about going to rehab that much before I went. So I was just like, I guess this is something I'm going to do. Like, I don't really 
I don't know what to think about this. I'm just going to go. And then I got there and it was hard at first, especially because I'm not very good about like talking about my emotions. So like, and you got to talk about your emotions all the time at rehab. So I was like, this isn't going to help me because I can't talk about my emotions, but they chip away at you and chip away at you. And finally you have a breakdown and like things start getting better. Um, and I mean, it was really hard. It wasn't like every day of rehab was like sunshine and butterflies. Like it was so much work, um, but the women who were around me were amazing. Um, my doctors and just everyone I interacted with cared so much. I felt for the first time in my life, like truly safe. And it made a lot more sense to me why I'd been feeling the way I'd been feeling because I never felt safe before ever in my life. So just learning to feel safe somewhere was so powerful for me personally. Um, but yeah, that's a very long answer. <laughs> to no, that's, what great. that's awesome. No, I love that. What kind of stuff did you do in rehab? Because I know a lot of times, um, you know, like with taking down the stigma and stuff, a lot of times mm -hmm. in media, it's portrayed as like a prison almost, but in reality, that's not at all what it is. Yeah, no, for sure. I think there's like this Winona Ryder movie in like the 90s with Angelina Jolie. I don't remember what it's called, but she's in rehab for six months and it's like horrible. And then there's also um, Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath where she's like going through electroshock treatment. It, it was not like that at all. Um, it was really nice. And part of that was because I was at a very holistic place. Um, not every rehab facility is like this, but... Um, Basically, we did everything like we did have um, like one on one sessions with therapists and we had a lot of group therapy, but there's also movement therapy, a lot of dancing, a lot of art, um, music therapy, which at first like I thought was going to be horrible and really corny, but ended up being one of my favorite things there. Um, we did a sweat lodge, which um, is a traditional practice that some indigenous groups do. Um, and there were definitely some problems with that um, because it, we did not do it with indigenous people. We did it with white practitioners and it, it was, there's, there's some issues, but it was cool because it introduced me to something that um, I had never done before. Um, but yeah, there's like a lot of spiritual stuff. Um, and then there was also just a lot of time to like hang out and chill and like watch movies. Um, and just like get to know the people around you and get really close to the girls, which for me was like so important. Like every night me and my friend would just watch like a scary movie. And that was like just a really good way to wind down and a really good way to get close to someone and have a routine. I also learned a lot about food and nutrition, which was really good because I like a symptom of my PTSD was dissociating and feeling like I wasn't in my body. And so that led to me not feeding myself enough, not giving myself the right kinds of foods and learning how to eat in a way that sustained me and made me feel good was actually very, very empowering and made me feel like I was like in my body instead of just kind of like floating outside of it. So that was really good too. Um, I'm trying to think there's definitely, we definitely did other things, but those were, those were the big things. Just like anything you could think of, we did yoga. We meditated like 20 times a day. It would get kind of annoying, but <laughs> we did that. Um, we even, there's someone there who did 
energy healing. So um, I learned about like energy healing and chakras and stuff like that. Just basically everything. And like some stuff worked, some stuff didn't. You could take it or leave it. But since we were doing so many different things every day, like something was always going to work. Um, and it, it was really, it was so cool. Like I learned so much about myself. Um, and I also, I wasn't doing a lot of art like in the months before, and now I do art like every day because of rehab. So that was really good. That's awesome. Yeah, I love how holistic the approach is at the one you went to. Mm -hmm. um, Cause like you said, you never know what's gonna work for someone and what isn't. Like I find so many times like people will just give you one solution to a problem and just hope it sticks. But yeah, you know, when you have, like everyone reacts differently to different things. Mm -hmm. um, so I love that. I know you say too that you're like passionate about self-care and trauma work. Mm -hmm. um, would you say you got into that from your personal experience? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I So I'd been doing like in high school, I rewrote my um, school sexual misconduct policy and I'd always been very interested in sexual assault, especially against women of color because the rates are a lot higher. But I didn't really, I didn't really have an understanding of how deeply it affects people because I couldn't connect to myself in that way. And so just learning about how sexual assault had changed the way that I looked at my body, the way that I approach relationships with other people, the way that I approach the world, like it was like it was really hard and it was really sad. Just the fact that learning that my life had been so affected by someone who was not affected in the same way at all. But um, it was very powerful too. And like, it is, it is such a process, like it is so hard. Um, like I, like for instance, like last night, like I had a really, really bad nightmare about my ex-boyfriend from high school. Like that's not fun, but I woke up this morning and instead of my whole day being ruined by it, which it would have been in the past, I was able to be like, okay, that sucked, um, but just keep it moving. It was a dream. Um, and I think little things like that are just like so important and really so powerful because I don't know, like when you make a big change in a day, it never lasts. It's the little changes that add up over time that I think lasts, at least for me. Um, and so just learning to incorporate things like that into my life, um, learning to just talk to myself in a much nicer way. Like I'm not someone who looks in the mirror and says like, you're beautiful, I love you. Cause I, I'm not <laughs> in a place where I could do that yet. But just when I hear myself saying like, you're ugly, just being like, no, you're not. That's like very powerful for me. Um, and a book that I would really recommend to people is called Dear Sister, and it's written towards um, people who have experienced sexual violence, like um, in all forms. And that was really, really powerful for me, just like reading all these letters from people who have experienced like the same things I've experienced and knowing that they cared about me. Um, so if I like I would recommend that to anyone if you need a book to read like that that's the one and also the body keeps the score is really good um it's by the psychologist who's really like changed the way that we think about PTSD and the way the body 
holds trauma long after it's happened, that was really good for me to read too, because it helped me understand in more scientific terms, like how my traumatic experiences were affecting me and staying with me and how I could work to change that. That's so awesome. What are your best self-care tips for yourself? Ooh, that's hard because <laughs> I've never been someone who's too good at self-care. Um, I'd say for me, cooking for myself um, has been very good for me. It gives me something to look forward to three times a day. And also just eating things and like feeling good after. I never used to feel that way. And now I know what's good for me and what makes me feel good. And so just being able to take care of myself in that way has made every day better for me since I left rehab. And even when I was in rehab, because we were able to cook for ourselves. And then something else, um, I mean, everyone says this, but getting enough sleep, like I need to have between seven and eight hours of sleep every night. If I don't, I'm just not going to feel good the next day. It affects me in every way. So if you're able to trying to get seven to eight hours of sleep is really good. And like, I work early in the morning. Like I don't have class at 10. Like I have work at 730. So like I got to go to bed at 1130 and it's not fun, but it's something I have to do or else I won't feel good. So um, that's something I do. And then honestly, like I was thinking while I was saying these things, like, yeah, it's really easy to hear self-care tips, but if you don't think you're worth it, you're not going to do them. I read all types of self-care tips before I went to rehab, but I didn't think I was worth the self-care. So I didn't do any of them. I think just like, and this is hard because I think therapy helps a lot. I think it's really hard to do some of these things by yourself. But um, for me, like ever since I was a child, I would always say really mean things to myself in my head. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. It was kind of like it was playing in a loop in the back of my head. And so just kind of, if I suddenly feel really bad, just asking, why do I feel bad? Did I say something mean to myself? And then realizing like, oh yeah, I did. And then correcting it just a little bit has really changed my life because now that I'm correcting those automatic processes that make me feel bad about myself, I feel like it's worth it to take care of myself. So that's been really very powerful for me and it's really hard to do, but once you start doing it, um, you don't wanna stop. So that is advice, but also I really recommend people go to therapy. Um, you could go on psychology today, put your insurance in and you can find like lots of therapists in your area. Um, I, I especially like look at the types of things they specialize in. Like for me, I needed to find someone who specialized in sexual trauma. So that's what I was looking for. Um, and they say like in their biographies, like this is the type of thing I specialize in. And if you are a person of color or if you're trans or if you are LGBTQ plus or whatever, they say like if they're allied with those um, groups of people, if they have experience with those groups of people, I think that's really helpful. I go to a mixed race therapist because I'm mixed race and that's so important to me because there's certain things about being mixed race that other people don't understand. So trying to find people that like really fit what you need, um, that's, that's very important because I went to therapists for a while who like didn't fit what I needed and I didn't realize that. 
And I was like, I guess therapy just doesn't work for me, but I just wasn't going to people who specialized in the things that I really needed help with. So if you're able to, I would do that. And if you don't have insurance, a lot of therapists also have a sliding scale. So for me, like the therapist I'm going to right now doesn't take insurance. And because I just paid um, a lot of money to go to rehab, I can't pay that much for therapy. So I pay like the lowest amount on the sliding scale right now, because that's what I can afford. And like, I'm able to do that. It works. So for a lot of therapists, like really don't want money to be an issue. And if possible, I would really try to go to therapy if it's something in your budget, because I think that that's like a big first step in PTSD. It's really hard to treat it by yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. I think therapy is so important too. It definitely, it's sad that it has such like a negative connotation to it because mm-hmm. it should be a normal thing, even for something as simple as like mild depression, like just like speaking mm-hmm. to someone about that is even helpful. Um, yeah. I know like for me, when I started seeing a therapist, like I felt weird about it because I was like, I don't know, like this I don't know. I don't want people to, to think certain things about me, but then you realize that like everyone should be, you know, it's like a safe place to talk to someone. Yeah. And I think it's becoming more normalized to go to therapy now too, which is nice. Cause I used to definitely keep it a secret that I went to a therapist and I hear people openly talking about it now, like even just at work, which is really nice. So yeah. I feel like it's becoming a bit more normalized, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like mental health is becoming a lot more of a more open conversation, which is so important. I don't know. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it, like, I think it depends on the community you're a part of. Like, for instance, in the Black community, like, there's definitely still more of a stigma than probably, like, in a more upper-class white community. So that's definitely something that's tough especially because like I said like when I was in the hospital everyone was black there Mm -hmm. like people of color especially black people suffer from mental illness at higher rates than um, other groups in the U.S. and so that's something that I really hope to do um, in my work is just make it more normalized for people to get help especially because like just living in the country that we live in like (laughs) racism can give you PTSD, classism can give you PTSD, all the isms like can give you really bad mental health issues. Like it's those groups who are most disadvantaged who often like need the most therapy. Um, And whether it's because of cost or because of stigma, often they're not able to access it. And so I really hope that I'm able to work with other people to change that and support people in going to therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find you faced a lot of racism in your life? Um, I mean, yes, but also like, I think that it's important to say the disclaimer, like I'm mixed race, uh, like I'm black, um, white, Middle Eastern, depends on the DNA tests I'm taking, indigenous, but also Hispanic. I don't really know, but for the most part, like I talk about being black and white because those are experiences I grew up with, um, but I'm very light skinned passes white um, or I passes like other races. Um, Like for instance, when I was in Europe, like I got profiled all the time when I was going through airports because they thought that like I was like 
a terrorist or something because I'm Middle Eastern like it. But it is still, I still experience like a lot of privilege because of the way I look. So I think it's very important to state that like, and colorism is a lot more, colorism for people don't know is basically when um, lighter skinned people in like um, a minority group are treated better than darker skinned people in that group. And colorism is about more than appearances. Like I am more likely if I commit the same crime as a darker skinned woman to get a more lenient prison like sentence. Like I'm more likely to get jobs. Like it's statistical, like it's a big problem. So I think it is important to say that first. Um, but yeah, I have experienced racism, um, especially going to Tulane. Um, it's very white and um, also pretty upper class, upper middle class. So classism has also been a problem too. But yeah, like even in grade school, um, I was one of the few people of color and like the only mixed race girl um, in my grade school. So I definitely had problems because of that. I got put into racial identity counseling when I was in eighth grade because like they thought that I was confused, which like it didn't make any sense. But um, also like um, I've also experienced fetishization, which has been really difficult for me um, from like all different groups. Like I've had, especially being in the South and being mixed race, like some of the things that guys have said to me like had just like been, <laughs> so disturbing and makes me feel like I'm not a person, like makes me feel like I'm an object. And that has been really hard, especially with PTSD. Like you already kind of feel like your body's not your own. And when you know that people are objectifying you and seeing you a certain way because of the way you look, like that makes it even harder. I'm actually taking a class on like free women of color and mixed serious women in New Orleans right now and like I'm reading stuff written about them in the 1800s and it's like wow nothing's changed <laughs> like oh I have like heard the same things about myself I have seen guys saying or people saying the same things about mixed race women on social media like yeah it's tough and that's something that like you can't escape being a person of color like you can learn how to deal with the problems you get from it as much as you can but like it's not going to go away, at least not anytime soon. So for me, like, it was really important for me to have a Black therapist because I'm able to talk to her about those things. But yeah, especially with the pandemic, like, being in a majority Black city um, that got hit so hard by COVID in the beginning, and like, going to school with a lot of people who don't really seem to, like, um, care about that that much or are ignorant of it. And are putting a bunch of people in danger because they just don't really care and want to party, that's been really hard because like, I don't know, black communities have gotten hit so hard. And especially right now, like, it's just, it's so unnecessary. Um, you don't have to go to a frat party, like you can stay home, it's not a big deal. And you are endangering so many black people who do not have the privileges that you have in the process. So that's really, tough um but I mean I don't really have like a nice way to end this it's, it just sucks yeah like, it really sucks yeah that's very fair I mean it's definitely a good thing to to talk about like you said there's no like good way to end it I guess which is so true in so many ways but it's just like it's an important thing to be brought up like you said especially during COVID when 
it becomes an even bigger problem, essentially. Um, and I think people forget about these ongoing issues when there's something that is like a lot newer, like COVID. Like I feel like once COVID hit, kind of all the old issues got put on the back burner until COVID died down a little bit. And yeah, even with um, the protests and stuff this summer, like, you know, everyone was posting like those little how not to be racist infographics and stuff on their stories. And then it's like, people just forgot. Right. Um, and that's like, oh my God, just actually, so I went to, um, I went to one school of economics the year, the summer after my freshman year, and I studied activism and how like technology affects it. And this is a whole other rant, but I think that technology in some ways has been very damaging the social justice movements because you're able to just post a little infographic online. You're like, okay, my work is done. Or say you're interested in going to a protest on Facebook and you're like, yeah, like I, I've done enough today. <laughs> like that is all I am golden. And like people don't, there's just not as much pressure to have your boots on the ground and really make change. And so while social media is a very good way to spread information for sure um i think it can i think it can also lead to like inaction in some ways and so that's been kind of annoying just like because covid has really just made race issues more apparent but at the same time it's like people just don't it's easier for people to forget about it somehow well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing I love all your insight always. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to be on. So fun. I love podcasts. I love that. Yeah, you're starting to get into your your crime ones. Yeah. Oh, mm -mm. I wouldn't say that. I have issues <laughs> with your crime podcasts. Um, I okay, so as someone like I like I wasn't born um when someone in my family was murdered, but like I've seen how it has affected my family members. Like I don't really like the trend of like true crime podcasts where it's like let's just talk about someone who got murdered and like we're also drinking like having a good time and like laughing and stuff it's like um <laughs> what about like the victim's families like have you ever thought about how painful it is to like actually experience these true crimes that stuff leaves a bad taste in my mouth but there are a few podcasts I've come across where they're so respectful of um the victims where they are just like they give so much information about the case they don't glorify whoever the murderer was and make them just seem like so glamorous and just so evil and like an evil genius there are some that are really good i would recommend sinisterhood i was talking to kailani about this before the podcast one of the women who's a um, co-host is a lawyer so she actually has like a lot of experience with true crime so i think that they're just they talk about it in like a much better way but um yeah that's that's my little spiel um I just want to say that because I don't want people to think I'm super in the true crime because I think that can be so problematic absolutely yeah so everyone go check out Sinisterhood I need to check that one out myself too mm -hmm. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please feel free to share with a friend, especially if you think it may help them. And thank you for your support always. Thank you. And if anyone, um, like, feel free to reach out. Like, if you ever want to talk about just therapy or PTSD or my rehab experience, like, 
Kailani can leave my like email or whatever in the description. Like I would be so open to talking to anybody who needs to talk to someone who needs like any insight or advice. Absolutely. Thank you, Lauren. Mm -hmm. Thank you.